Hello, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, presented by Evergreen Podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. Tonight, this is the first standalone review episode we'll be doing for every release in the Springsteen Archive series moving forward, now that Backstreet's is unfortunately no longer in business. And Flynn, tonight we get to start with an interesting selection. Yes, October 14th, 2009, from the Spectrum in Philadelphia. I know people aren't high on the 2009 tour, but this was definitely a good pick. It includes a full performance of the Darkness on the Edge of Town album, and it means we complete the set. We have uh, Now we have all six albums that were performed in their entirety from that stretch of the tour, and it's definitely uh, definitely worthy. I'm really enjoying this one. Yeah, this is a good choice. I remember when we did the last show on the Archive series, we talked about this show being released from the fall of 2009. Obviously, Darkness also exists from the Darkness box recorded live at the Paramount without an audience. And this fills in, as you said, the last album from that 2009 segment of the tour. I think that the show really is a good listen, surprisingly so in a way. I... I Perhaps we forget how great they were in the fall of 2009. Now, I know if we look at the spring of 2009, the set lists were weird. He was dropping a lot of the stuff from working on a dream because it wasn't working very well. But the fall of 2009, these shows were super hot. Uh, The River Show was as good a show as I've seen in probably the last 25 years, except maybe St. Louis. And we know the Greeting Show was great. And... All these shows, the band was really on, and I think that that is represented here as well. Well, I think the key about the the fall, these fall album shows, is that the albums gave it a kind of a emotional arc that that he had not found uh, previously on the tour when he was trying to create set lists, basically off the top of his head, or trying to integrate the new material in, and that just. None of that was working, and so when he put in the albums, it just felt so much better. It felt more of a of a complete show. At a lot of these album shows, though, there the rest of the show was kind of lacking. There were a lot of greatest hits kind of thing, uh, or that whole uh, you know stump the band with the signs and they get bizarre covers. But on at this one, you had an opening of Thundercrack as well as the only tour performance of What Love Can Do. And then after the album, you got Sherry Darling, Human Touch, and Long Walk Home right in a row. And that, to me, that's, that's a pretty strong uh, post-album uh, sequence. The performance of What Love Can Do, I thought, worked really well. This was not a show that I saw, but it, it does sort of show how weird things were for a part of that tour, because What Love Can Do, which is a compact rocker, sounds great, was played this one time. And something like Outlaw Pete, uh, I'm not knocking anyone who enjoys it, and I enjoyed it the first one or two times I saw it, but it was played pretty much every night of the tour up to this show. And then, of course, the title track, Working on a Dream, which I think is one of the worst songs in the catalog, was played every night except for the Full River performance, and he didn't play Kingdom of Days a lot of these nights. The Wrestler was dropped. I know that was sort of a bonus track. And then you got What Love Can Do. So it's great to hear it represented. And uh, that is one of the reasons why this is a good pick. Well, the thing about What Love Can Do, it was always a mystery because it was possibly the only E Street type rocker on, on the Working on a Dream album. And 
it was it wasn't played until six months into the tour, and it just didn't make any sense to me that why why he wouldn't we wouldn't play it. And then it's even weirder because we hear this recording, we hear this performance. They pretty much nailed it. Uh, totally, totally, totally nailed it. More mystery as to why wasn't this done. I mean, something like My Lucky Day. It's it's kind of a fun rocker. I guess he was trying to replace Two Hearts with it. But it's it seems very fluffy compared to what Love Can Do, which is, to me, just a fantastic song. He just seemed to lack conviction in some of this material, and I think that's what led him to switch to the full album performances in the fall. To be fair, it worked really well. And this is a perfect example because I did not see any of the Darkness shows that fall. I think there were two, right? There were only two, yes. And I had heard that the Giant Stadium show had not gone over well at all. And that was one of the reasons why they did the darkness at the Paramount. But the truth is the performance of darkness here is scorching. Yeah, there's nothing to uh, nothing negative here to be said about about that album performance. You're right at Giant Stadium. I did attend that show. And yeah, it, the surprisingly enough, the Jersey audience really wasn't that into it, especially when you got to some of the you got to like Factory or even uh, even Streets of Fire. There weren't, you know. Not everybody was paying full attention at all times. Let's just put it that way. And he brought it inside in in Philadelphia, and you know you're going to have the hardcores there, and and they pretty much nailed it, start to finish. Uh, I mean, the guitars on basically every song just just sound just sound great. I love hearing uh, Charlie's organ in there, especially on on Badlands. He just sounds amazing, and as well as racing in the street. And really, there's nothing uh, in Bruce's vocals pretty much on. Uh, he really hit the the growling notes on Darkness on the Edge of Town. It was just a tremendous performance. He sounds really good in the show. You're 100% correct. And the entire show from start to finish is, is top notch. It fits in perfectly with the other performances they've released from the fall of 2009, which is a phenomenal series of shows. and. I think that the Streets of Fire, which is the sample cut they released to YouTube, uh, it just uh, it tears the place up. I mean, I, I was listening in the speakers, and this is not a show I had really listened to much over the years, and I, I was really impressed. This was a good selection for them to release, especially coming off of 10 months without a release. Now, a lot of people want to hear Classic Era. We know they're running out of some of those and we'll see how much more comes. I think they'll have to parcel them out. But for Reunion Era show, this was a unpredictable and I, I think a really excellent choice. Well, I'm not sure what you mean by unpredictable. I think since you mentioned earlier that we both called for this one, suggested for I, I this one to be released. I don't think I'm talking about for the fan base at large. I, do, uh, okay. I know we called for it, but do you think <laughs> that this is a show that people were talking about? Um. Well, see, yeah, that, that's a good question when it comes to Nugs releases. Who is the audience for this? Is it our us and, and our listeners, or is it BTX, or is it people who go see him the once a tour at Giant Stadium? That's you know, that's kind of the question here. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a mix. Another example from the same part of the tour, we had talked about the Cleveland show and of course that was released the incredible version of back in your arms but that's another one i don't think the the fan base at large was like give us the cleveland 2009 show once it gets released i think people respect it because they hear what a quality performance it was but uh those are the types of shows i think that maybe get a little overlooked at the time and 
that's why these releases are serving such a great purpose. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Well, I think the fact that a lot of these shows, we haven't heard them in excellent quality. We haven't heard them professionally mixed. And then you get a show like this, and another example to me is the Chicago 99 show, in which they release it. It sounds perfectly, absolutely amazing. And all of a sudden, people are saying, whoa, this this was a great show. But So you have a lot of, lot of recording bias in that. And, uh, I mean, I'm kind of surprised this one hasn't been more of, uh, of one that the fans would want to hear. I mean, as long, as far as 2009 shows go, because it was one of the only two performances of the darkness album. And it sounds great. You have an opening thunder crack as well, as well as a very cool, like encore with Ramrod into Detroit medley. Uh, you know, this one, this was always on my radar. How about that? And we can't forget the Rocky fanfare before Rosalita, which is fun. <laughs> yes, th- that is fun. And that was also on the, the final night of this day, and it was also released October 20th. That included a full album performance of Born in the USA. And it was a good show otherwise with uh, the opening price you pay and obviously the higher and higher for the first time since, what, 77. So uh, they got two good ones out of that stand. And something else I was thinking of, Hal, and related to our episode we did earlier this year is this the last stand that he did of more than three nights like ever i believe that it is you're asking me a question that i wasn't prepared for uh <laughs> so but i'm thinking off the top of my head quickly i'm running through it i know there's it not is because in, in he has not played more than three nights in jersey since post- 2009 yeah yeah, so this is the the last real long stand of of his career. So that's a and they've released half half of the show. So and I wouldn't mind seeing the other half. <laughs> Another Born to Run show would be pretty cool. And you can never really get tired of the Born to Run shows, and they were playing as I mentioned so well at this point. Now let's talk about the sound quality here because the mix by Al Chiller is really stellar. 
the separation seems to be better than even some of the other releases we've heard recently. Did you get that as well? I did. I, I feel like I can hear every little every little instrument, and I think a perfect example is at the end of Sunny Day. Very, I guess I don't know what was going on on stage. I I wasn't at this show. I, I was going to bring like, this up, but there was something going on where it took him a while to to get going for the next song or get ready, and you can hear Steve play a CCR riff that I believe is from uh, okay, Run Through okay, the so Jungle. I'm not crazy. I You're not crazy. Buy you. I thought it was born um, on the bayou. I may, I may be confusing those two. It's very likely, but I was I listening to it. I actually have that in my notes. I was like, did I hear born on the bayou there? Yes, you did. And it was weird because I was listening on computer speakers, not exactly the most of the most uh, high quality. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, out of the right side, I hear Steve playing uh, CCR. I'm like, wow, that's really weird. And I'm sure that's something that nobody picked up uh Whoever listened to the audience recording, I, that was something that never that I never saw mentioned anyway. Well, another thing, Steve, think to point out: Did you listen to Rosalita when Bruce does the Papa says he knows I don't have any money line? They've got <laughs> yes, Steve, I did. Like as clear as a bell in the backing vocals, <laughs> saying all kinds of hilarious shit. It's great. That was weird. Yeah, that was very weird. And I was wondering again. I wasn't at the show. Were they sharing a mic at that time, or was I, I or, was, or did all children just? you know, push up Steve's mic all so far up that we can hear every little word he says. Whatever. It was, it was very interesting and funny to hear the guitar throughout Bruce's guitar, uh, especially on you first get it on what love can do. There's arpeggio notes in there and the clarity is of each note is just spectacular. I was listening on my headphones as well. And I, I really was like, and I love when you can hear Bruce's guitar like that. It really is something. It, this is a very high quality release. And it sort of, like I was saying, sneaks up on you because mm -hmm. you wouldn't have thought uh, from 2009 uh, that you know, a random show would necessarily hit this level. But it, in all respects, I think it does. And it, it's, it's a good addition to the series. Oh, definitely. I know, as I said earlier, a lot of people aren't into 2009 shows, but I think this one uh, this one rises to, to, to a level of, of worthiness, a definite worthiness of being in the series. And I'm very I'm really I'm really enjoying listening to it. All right. So in the old words of Siskel and Ebert, we give it two thumbs up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So we're going to do this every release now, as I was saying at the beginning of the episode. One other thing that we're also doing is on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast, we're doing a separate series, which will just be there. That is called the NBTB Archive Lookback, where we're going to look at all the archives that were released by Bruce prior to us beginning our show in September 2019. So there's 46 of those, we're going to start doing those once a month so that we have a library pretty much of every archive release covered. Yeah, so we're going to start with the Apollo, which was the first one released in November of 14. And so that will be will be released to Patreon uh, within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. And with that, we're going to wrap things up. None But the Bravest presentation of Evergreen Podcasts produced by Bull Market Entertainment. I just gave you our Patreon page. You can also find us on Twitter at MBTB Podcast. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening and we'll see you further on up the road.
We'll be seeing you. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.